name's Todd. This is Kathy. Welcome back to another episode of Zen Parenting Radio. This is podcast number 463, I want to say. Why listen to Zen Parenting Radio? Because you'll feel outstanding, and who doesn't want to feel outstanding? And always remember our motto, which is that the best predictor of a child's well-being is a parent's self-understanding. On today's show, blame and... Superiority. Superiority. Um... That's Sweetie's big topic. I have some quick takes. It's uh, it's the day before Halloween, Sweetie. What are you going as? Uh, I am going as something. What am I going as? I forget. What are we going as? I don't know. I'm not going to get home till later. I had an idea, and I forgot. Maybe I'll just throw on my Sia wig again. <laughs> what about the I bat? I like being Sia. What about the bat thing? Or I could be bat. I was bat girl last year. JC was Batman. Right. Which I thought was interesting. Well, she was like bat person. I kept asking her. She says, I'm Batman. Yeah. She just watched the whole trilogy, The Dark Knight. Yeah. And she just really liked it. So I think she Didn't just... Didn't they call him the Batman in one of the movies? Yeah. He is the Batman. But no, when we were little, it was always Batman. It wasn't the Batman. I know. Right. But I think the difference between the Batman we grew up with, which was, what's his name? What was his name? Joker. Adam West. Oh, he was like kind of a cartoon character, and now the Christian Bale version is he's the he's not a cartoon character. He's the Batman. He dresses as he he is. It's like a subtle difference, but he's the guy who 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 tries to help people instead of him. You're being saying like, Adam West wasn't trying to help people, <laughs> sweetie. Adam West was a little bit of a character. Caricature, like a first of all, moment of silence for Adam West because oh, that's right, did he pass away? Yeah, a few years ago, I think. But I I just think that you're giving the Adam West version not enough credit. That guy was awesome. Oh, I loved it. I loved he he and Robin were the best. I loved the episodes. There were certain when they're walking up the wall. <laughs> they would take the camera yeah, they would and just, move it sideways. They move it sideways. Um, it's funny. Uh, Rosalind Wiseman, who spoke at our conference last year. Mm. Two years ago. Two years ago. She had a picture of what Batman looked like or the comic book version from when we were little kids to right. what he looks like now. Now he's a big, like, muscular. And it's muscular. all about, you know, how masculinity has evolved. You have to be big and tough and chiseled and no body fat and everything else. And uh, I'm actually speaking to a group on Saturday. Maybe I'll include that. Yes. Batman used to just be a guy. Just a regular guy. And he just could, when he'd throw a punch... All of a sudden, there'd be a sound like pow, bam, wham, wham, wham. It wasn't wham, it was boom. Whammo. Um, I want to play the Batman theme. Okay, so you cut this out? No, I'm not cutting anything out. Deep lyrics. <laughs> it doesn't say the Batman. What's interesting is the show, and then we'll move on to the actual content of the show. Is uh, the cartoon was all fun, and then you get to like the actors, and I was uh, I always remember being a little disappointed. Like I wanted a cartoon. Instead, it was the actors. What are you talking about? The cartoon, uh, the, the the beginning, the opening, right, was a cartoon, and right. then we got these guys in leotards. It just wasn't as fun. Well. I wanted the whole thing to be so like the So you wanted the, the, the whole thing to be like, okay. Yeah. Well, I, I liked them as human beings. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I appreciated that. A few quick takes, sweetie. Why is HBO changing sex scenes forever? Oh, I'm so... Okay. So first of all, I have to tell you that I, uh, you know, and this is about this. I'm not going on a huge tangent here, but I have a really, um, a lot of respect for Maggie Gyllenhaal. Okay. Okay, I've always liked Maggie Gyllenhaal, but just in the last like two or three years, she's been like so vocal about, um, first of all, what she's paid in Hollywood, roles that she'll take, what she's willing to do. Um, And she's been such a good advocate, Mm -hmm. I think, for the industry and for other women in the industry. And she's just such a good actress and she's related to Jake Gyllenhaal, which is helpful. Um, but in this show that she's in called The Deuce, 
they so it's on HBO like yeah. you said they actually did this thing where they have it's it's about the porn industry so there's obviously a lot of sex scenes the TV show um that she's on the is deuce, about the yeah. deuce yeah and so they decided to bring in what's called an intimacy coordinator correct is that what it's called uh, intimacy I can look coordinator it up. i don't know <clears throat> as somebody who is there for the women and men who are about to tape a scene and it's to make sure that they feel comfortable with what's going to be filmed, how it's going to be filmed, and how it's spoken about mm-hmm. on set. And for those of you who want to read more about this, Rolling Stone did an article about it uh, we'll last put it in week. The show, we'll put it in the show notes. And why it's important is after... Okay, I've been listening to interviews with Maggie Gyllenhaal lately because she's promoting two different things. She's promoting The Deuce. She's promoting this movie that she's in called The Kindergarten Teacher. And she's just been on a lot of shows lately, so I've been listening to her a lot. So she has been talking about this. But then when I read this article, I was like, why hasn't this been available since day one? Yeah. And not only that, like, did it take us this long to even think that it should (laughs) be there, including all of us? Like, it's not like we even thought anything was missing. We just assumed, oh, no, the woman gets naked and she just has to deal with the discomfort of the nudity. Well, and I and the men. And the men. And, I, and we may say, oh, the men don't care. Of course, they're human beings. Yeah. Like, they may have to pretend they don't care. But what Maggie Gyllenhaal talked about is there are movies that some, she didn't, I don't think she has this experience, but that some men and women were in where they reflect on it and they were like, that whole scene was filmed so inappropriately. Mm-hmm. And they didn't feel like they were taken care of. They felt like they were exposed. They felt like they were in some ways, uh, I don't want to use the word violated. That may be too strong, but that there was not... A, a safety in filming that scene. And you're talking about what they're being told, the environment, who's the there. The protection between their body and the other person's mm. body. Like a lot of times the director is like, I just want this to be as real as possible. Mm-hmm. And so there's no there's no respect for the actor's body and mm-hmm. what they're feeling comfortable with. Right. And sometimes it's things, all about the scene. You got it. And so she was just saying that some actors like feel like they look at a scene and they're like, that felt abusive. Yeah. And so to have somebody and, and not only that, I'm not going to say these words, um, but if you read the Rolling Stone article, the way that some directors and, and and some men who are filming speak about a woman's body, like grab her blanks, blanks and 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 it's so um, dehumanizing, yeah. which we're going to talk about on today's show, where then the woman has to like go into that. That's the direction the man she's with is being given or the other woman she's with is being given and it just sets up a tone of of discomfort and not and no and lack of respect. Mm-hmm. So I just thought this idea of having an intimacy coordinator on set to make sure that everybody feels and and what Maggie Gyllenhaal was able to say about this and other people in the article is that it's made for better scenes. Yeah. Well, and I think you may have said this. It's one thing to do it on the show, but HBO is doing all the shows this All of them now. Well, because they realized... This is a good idea. This is a good idea. And we're in this age now where there is a time... Let's really break this down for a second, Todd. If all the people on set are men, Mm -hmm. the director, the screenwriter, the cinematographer, you know, most, the majority of the actors are 80% men... And then you've got a woman who's going to film a scene. Nobody, everyone's like, just do it. Yeah. It, there's a sense of this is what you're here to do. Right. And it's, it, nobody, and I want to, they didn't care. You know, I guess I can't say that for them individually, say, oh, you didn't care, but they didn't even know to care. Yeah. And that we're in a different age now when people ask about what's Me Too about, what's Time's Up about. It's about this kind of thing yeah. where there's actually someone now on set to say, this isn't okay. And that, Every person on the set, male and female, um, or anybody that doesn't identify as male and female, has a right to be respected and be heard. So, you know, it's not a lot of times people mistake me too and time's up about we're just going to call a bunch of people out. And Mm -hmm. that's part of it. People who have shifting a culture, but it's shifting a culture. So thank you for sharing that because I was so excited about that idea. So the other thing was I want to, we got an iTunes review and I want to uh, read it. You know, but don't use the name because I think we don't want to uh, sometimes promote do you know what I mean? But like sometimes not, people it's do not that the person's name. I know, but sometimes people write negative things so they can be promoted. Oh, 
you okay. see what I mean? I'm fine with you sharing, but okay. Well, here's what it said. <laughs> it says um, the title of it was "It's Not for Me, Sweetie." Oh, sweetie. And then it's and then the person. I assume it's a guy, but maybe not. Who knows? Too annoying, sweetie. The guy comes across as a very as very strange and disingenuous with his stories and odd demeanor. So I just thought that w- I honestly laughed. Like you know, there's probably a small part of me that was like, oh, that's odd demeanor, too bad. right? Odd demeanor and strange. But um, I think it's important. I don't know, to, you know, reminds me of, we're going to play a little bit of a Brene interview with Dax today. Right. Um, it's the good and the bad. Like right. it, it would be disingenuous for us only to read the good reviews. Right. Now, that doesn't mean that you can't just read good reviews if that's what you want. But I think to balance things out that, and we get very few bad reviews too. So let's say that. Well, it's been eight years. And we've got two we've bad ones. Two. One from this guy and one from Travis <laughs> in year one. But um, it reminded me of Saturday Night Live. Like, you know, in Saturday Night Live, you know, the show is built basically making fun of people. Right. And if I happen to be one of those people that got made fun of... I mean, then, I like it. Then all of a sudden people get mad that right. they get made fun of, but they laugh at everybody else's right. expense. So anyways, I'm just trying to, um, you know, I don't know, just... I don't even know why I'm bringing it up. Other than the fact that... Um, I appreciate this person giving us a try. My guess is... Yeah, they obviously listen. My guess is he or she is not listening today. Maybe. Um, but I'm not going to stop calling you sweetie, and I'm not going to stop being strange well, and disingenuous. We, like, I feel like four years ago, we went through... There was a lot of people who reviewed who said, stop saying this, stop calling each other sweetie. And we already went through that whole thing of that we're not doing that for all of you. The problem is people don't probably didn't listen to that episode. Right. So sometimes it's worth... I know it's annoying to some that I call my my sweetheart sweetie, <laughs> but that's what I call her. So All I'm, the time. So I'm not going to um, change. Now, if we got 10 of these reviews every week, I might change something around well, a little bit. No, there. Oh, no, no, no I wouldn't. No, well, I wouldn't. I'm, what I'm saying is that if you, it's all about authenticity. Right. We don't create and say things and do things because other people tell us what to do. I know, but here's the di- here's the difference between you and I, and this is kind of a silly argument, so let's just start okay. there. I value feedback. So and, do I. And, I value feedback. And if a whole bunch of people said, hey, I love your show except for this thing, even though that thing, whatever it was, was authentic, I might be like, oh, maybe I'll try something different. Okay. That's all. So you will then come on this podcast and not call me what you call me all day long because you're worried about what other people think. Yeah, because, you know, it's not about intention. It's about impact. And it's a tricky balance between it. And if most of our listeners are annoyed, the fact that I call you sweetie, and I don't think that's the case because we get more of these bad reviews. But then I want to go deep with you about that because you don't have to, you call me whatever you want. You can call me Kathy. You can, I don't, I don't need it. Right. But you... Basically, what you're saying is that you, you know, a word that is a term of endearment, no matter what it is, if it be someone who calls you honey or babe or whatever, you're going to say, I'm using that in a loving way, but I'm going to stop being loving because other people don't understand I'm being loving. And therefore, it's kind of like it, it, there's, it's full of, um, the intention behind any words are this is a word that I, that, that, you know, I use with you because of how I care about sure. you. And so some people who um, it, it rubs them the wrong way, maybe because they think it's cheesy mm-hmm. or because no one's used that with them right. or because they think that people who use that word are disingenuous. And that's their belief because of... I, I'm just saying, like, don't we need more loving words in the world? And just because people are uncomfortable with them, it doesn't mean we stop. And you can do whatever you want, right? But I'm just kind of throwing that out there as like a yeah. You're challenging me to if this were to happen, would I really change it? And I think it would depend on the how many people would be annoyed by it mm-hmm. because there I I care about you know the audience and how they perceive it. And then the other is, can I come up with an equally loving word that's less annoying? I don't know. And we're never going to have to do this. This is just an this is a hypothetical discussion. Okay. But I don't know. I would be. I'm always looking to, I, I want to make sure our listeners are being taken care of in the best way that we can. And sweetie's saying no. No, 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 it's not, you're, that, that's not a good point to say I'm saying no, because I'm not saying I'm not, don't want to take care of people, right. but the whole point of the show 
is be yourself. Right. And so if you're going to be like, I'm going to alter what I say and do so everyone else is happy, then you're not living your message, Todd. Like you have to be, if you are, um, and you don't overdo it. If you were saying sweetie for effect and you were saying like, honey, sweetie, because you wanted everyone to think you're this loving person, then that's cheesy and that is disingenuous. Right. But if you're just talking normal. Right. You know, then I, I just kind of feel like the worst thing that I can do on this show or in my writing is pretend to be something, even if it's the use of words, right. because then I have to go out in the world and try to become whatever I'm being in my writing or on the show. And that's a lot of work because mm-hmm. I don't know how to do that. All I know how to do is show up and be myself. Well, I, th- I don't think I'm right and you're wrong. I don't think you're right and I'm wrong. I think the answer is probably somewhere. You don't in think between. the world is wrong or you're right. I don't want to buy anything. I don't want to buy anything. Process anything. Sold. Sell anything. I don't want to sell anything bought, sold, processed. Nobody knows what we're talking about right now. Sure they do. People know Say if Anything. If you know what that's from. Um, I just said it. You just said it. It's from Sorry. Say Anything. Uh, John Cusack, also known as Lloyd Dobler from. Kickboxing. Uh, Sport of the future. Sport of the future. Uh, okay, so what is this uh, big topic we're talking about today? So, I think because last week was a doozy, man. Um, it's not even a that word. So, doesn't for the people who are justice. listening this a year from now, what are yeah. you talking about? So, there was a shooting at the Kroger grocery store, mm-hmm. and it looks like it was a racially Hate driven crime. shooting. Yeah, there was. Um, a shooting at a synagogue, mm-hmm. um, and I feel like there was the bombs. S- oh, it, of course, thank you. Um, the pipe bombs the that pipe were being bombs. mailed uh, to certain leaders. So here's what the concern has always been mm-hmm. regarding unkind rhetoric: is that when we use unkind words and we start to especially use the words as far as describing people, then all of a sudden what happens is these words become the way we feel about these people and what we believe about these people. And then that belief and feeling turns into this is who they are. And once we make someone something rather than human, which is what the word dehumanization means, once they go from, oh, they're kind of annoying or they're kind of difficult to they're making, you know, they're they're hurting people or they are harmful and all of a sudden it's like they are a thing so they're no longer human Mm -hmm. we get to a point where we have the capacity to hurt yeah until we do that we are human beings are rarely unless they're psychopaths or something we're not hardwired to hurt somebody the only way that we can do that is if we first dehumanize them correct because like todd said our biology is such that it's very difficult to hurt another human being you we you can't we're not built that we're not built that way and and again there are some things that can come up with trauma and with and if you're under the influence of something. Um, but generally speaking. generally speaking, that doesn't happen. So we're in an age of where um, we're getting really used to and accustomed to doing an us and them. Mm-hmm. And us and them is different depending on who you are. Is it political parties? Is it my race versus your race? Is it my religion versus your religion? And I'm telling you, in all of those examples that I just gave, it's harmful. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean you can't have your opinion about the way this world should work. You are completely entitled to your opinion, and you should also speak up for what you believe, but it does not require you to dehumanize anybody. Right. And the more you do that, and the, the language that, uh, that I think is probably most effective is that oftentimes tools of oppression are used, and examples of tools of, of oppression is rhetoric, you know, how we speak about a certain group. And then sometimes the oppressors or excuse me, the oppressed start to use the same tools of oppression against other people. 
So what we do, like in perfect example, I mean, I don't have to go very far to find an example, everything on social networking. And I am a thread reader. I don't read everything. I don't like completely harm myself by reading all the negative rhetoric on, on social networking, but I'm always interested in what's someone going to say back to this? What's someone going to say back to this? And you, there isn't, I mean, I've yet to see somebody, and I'm putting this in air quotes, win an argument using the same tools of oppression, you know, mm-hmm. going back and forth and basically saying, you did this, you did this. And then all of a sudden we get into what about ism? Right. What about what you didn't pay attention to before? And, and false equivalency of like, well, this happened. It's the same as this. And it is the dumbest runaround and waste of energy. And I feel like what would be really effective, and, and this is almost impossible because you can't tell everyone to, to it, it isn't impossible, but it feels impossible, is if someone came, to, came on a thread and started being horrible, if everyone just kind of jumped over that and ignored it and kept saying things that are helpful, that person would have no one to fight with. Mm. Their pain body would have nobody to fight with. There would be no, and when I say pain body, that's Eckhart Tolle language, meaning when someone comes on with hate-filled rhetoric, they are just acting out their pain and trauma. They may not even know why they're mad at a certain group. They're just pissed about the world, okay? They're just pissed about whatever happened to them, whatever they're not getting, whatever they're not receiving. And so then they blame a group, and then they go on social networking, they try and rile everybody up, and everybody takes the bait, Right. And what if you just kind of jumped over that and kept saying, okay, what can I do? Or how can I show up and, and help or, you know, love to everybody or peace to everybody? Then that person has no one to fight with. But people take the bait. They want to fight back. They use the same tools of oppression against that person. So it's like a, a vicious cycle. Yeah. And when that's happening, it's really, you know, we are also, we just said we're hardwired for love. We are also hardwired towards survival. And, and the problem is that we perceive somebody attacking us as a threat to our survival. Correct. When in fact... With attacking us verbally as yeah, a threat verbally, to our society. Thank you. So somebody's telling us that, oh, you're a right winger, you're a left winger, you like this guy, you like that girl, whatever. We receive that as a threat to our survival when in fact it really doesn't matter nearly as much as we give it uh, energy to care about. So, so the question is, how do we respond when somebody quote unquote attacks our position? And the thing is, is I think people are like, well, I don't want to love them. I don't want, you don't have to love them. Can you be neutral? Exactly. You don't have to be like, I love you. You could, I mean, that would be really beautiful, but that's not what I would expect of myself or anybody else. What it is, is can you just not engage and, and this is a, why this is such an important discussion is right now, Todd and I are talking about the macro version of this. We're talking about the world a little bit right now because it necessitates a conversation. But then I want to talk about our families mm-hmm. and how we do the exact same thing in our day-to-day lives. We do it out in the world. We practice it in our families. But one, one quote, Todd, from what you just said about that we're hardwired for love. Um, Elizabeth Gilbert posted something, a quote from John Steinbeck yesterday, I think. The quote is, it isn't that the evil thing wins, it never will, but that the evil thing doesn't die. So what that means is that there will always be oh, something that we perceive to be evil. And, and I'm not talking about a person here. I'm talking about hate. Mm-hmm. An idea. An idea. It's not about this person's evil. It's about they are carrying evil ideas because that person could very easily drop those ideas and not be evil person, mm-hmm. you know, but whenever we're filled with hate, whenever we're filled with, I am better and that's superior superiority, mm-hmm. the idea that I am somehow better than another group, than another gender, than another race, than another religion, there's a, the, the, su- the superiority, the feelings of superiority makes us believe that we somehow have power over them and that we get to demonstrate that power and get away with it. Yeah. There's this, um, and that is an evil notion. Yeah. That person could turn that around. Like the story that I told you, uh, a couple weeks ago about Derek Black, who used to, his dad was the one who started, I think it was called Stormfront, which was a white nationalist, um, website. And he, you know, the, his son 
was able to rethink the way he saw the world and recognize that a lot of the information he was given growing up was not factual. It wasn't true. It simply wasn't true. And he was able to make different choices, and now he's being a part of the solution. So he he was never inherently evil. Yeah. He just, his ideas were hate-filled. So it's like even just switching that idea that someone could actually shift perspective, that there's hope in all of us. Um, but she also wrote, um, I wanted to read something else that she wrote here. She said, the evil thing hasn't won yet, by which I mean completely taken over. It's because the good thing never dies either. The good thing is love. When the good thing rises up, galvanizes, and unites in resistance, it can push the evil thing back down. It's not enough to simply deplore the evil thing. We also have to fight it. Now, I don't love the word fight, as we, as I've said on this show a million times, but I know what she's trying to say. And what she's trying to say is we have to speak up. Right. Like... Uh, Elie Wiesel taught us he was a he was in the Holocaust and he I think he won the Nobel Peace Prize didn't he I do not know um, he wrote Night and he said you have indifference is the problem right. it's not the that the opposite of love is hate it's indifference mm-hmm. the opposite of love is not saying anything pretending things aren't happening not speaking up about what you actually believe you don't have to dehumanize someone else to say what you believe right. And I think that that's the misunderstanding we have is why I don't love the word fight is that indicates I'm going to make someone else. Well, isn't there a quote like with Mother Teresa and they wanted her to march uh, against the war? And she said, no, but call me when you have a pro-peace march. Correct. So essentially it's what are you standing up to uphold? Correct. As opposed to what are you going to bring down? Correct. What are you doing to make the shift rather than what are you doing to harm other because people? Because when you engage in that same energy, like, oh, you're fighting me, I'm going to fight you back, then all of a sudden that's what evil wants. That's they just the tools want us to separate as opposed to bring together. Exactly. And, you know, that's the thing is I, for those of you who know Brene Brown's, um, research around vulnerability and shame. And, uh, you know, if you've read her most recent book, Dare to Lead, or if you read Braving the Wilderness or Rising Strong or any of her books, you know that she talks about how she started her research several years before 9-11 and how everything shifted so dramatically after 9-11 as far as our fear, Mm -hmm. as far as we started to become much more fear-based in the way we viewed other people and the way we viewed our lives. And Unfortunately, that's exactly what terrorists want. Yeah. Is they don't, they come in, and sometimes it's within our own country. Sure. Um, but when they, when someone is terrorizing, they are trying to create that fear and pit people against each other. Yeah, it's not necessarily the physical harm only. They right. know that there's a ripple effect Correct. that's going to put people in a place of fear because when people are afraid, that's when they go into survival mode and they protect themselves at the expense of others. So our idea is to maybe neutralize that fear and I don't know, stand up instead of fight back or march for peace as opposed to against war and understand that hurt people hurt people and, and have a degree of empathy because, you know, most people who um, do horrible things probably had horrible things done to them. 99% 99% of the time. Yeah. I mean, again, people may give me, I only say 99%, not because in my experience, it's been 100% of the people I've worked with as a therapist or the stories I've read or the, you know, it, but someone may, there's always that thing out there where someone says, no, this is a different story. Okay. Right. So I'll say 99%. Someone has been harmed and not given love and someone has been told they're not good enough. Someone has been told they don't belong. So they take all that energy of what's been put on them and they put it on somebody else. One of the most important things to understand about blame is blame is just a discharging of emotion where we're so uncomfortable of the feeling in our own body that we literally discharge it and put it on somebody else. We need, if you want, and again, this is said all the time. I can't tell you how many leaders have said this. So obviously this isn't something that Todd and I came up with, but if you want to gather people together and make them on your side, find them a common enemy Mm -hmm. 
and everybody can gather around that common enemy. And this sounds very familiar politically, right? Yep. And everyone can make that person wrong, and everyone can cheer about putting them in prison, and everyone can find that common enemy, and then that brings that group together. Sweetie, can I play a clip from a song by Pink Floyd called Us, called Us and Them? Please. So just listen to this one line, because I found this one line. That's the good and the bad. And in the end, if we're just fighting, we're just spinning in circles. And the crazy thing is, we all know this. Haven't you heard It's a Battle of Words? It's, that song's always been very meaningful to me, and I've never understood why. And now I'm starting to get into it a little bit. Now you want to listen to it more. Yeah. Well, and we know this. This is what every great, you know, piece of literature is about. This is what every war we've ever had has taught us. I mean, you know, last night we were driving home and we were uh, listening to XM radio and Sirius XM, and there's a station just for Billy Joel. Mm. And it, Goodnight Saigon happened to come on, and Todd and I have seen Billy Joel in concert a lot, and he usually plays that song, and a bunch of um, veterans get on stage and sing it with him. Goodnight Saigon is obviously about the Vietnam War. And I was just thinking about how many songs, how many movies, how many pieces of literature, how many documentaries have been done about the Vietnam War, and how we don't, there's so many of us who still don't learn from that. No. And we what we what we did, what we thought we could do, what what it really created, um, the pain, the turmoil. And we keep recycling. Well, and what's interesting, I remember Wayne Dyer telling a story about how what decades after the Vietnam War supposedly ended, um, they had a leader from North Vietnam and a leader from South Vietnam. They brought them together and they basically said, you know, what were you guys fighting about? And decades later, they still had a different idea of what they were fighting about. Of what about. they stood for and what the other guys stood for. So it's it was just warped. Like, why would they... You would think that there would be some clarity. Right. And decades later, they still didn't even know what they were fighting about. And if you... If there is somebody that is telling you that you need to hate and that hating is the way to go. And that can be politically, that can be in your family, that can be, um, you know, in your group of friends, that could be, you know, because I know we have a lot of college students who listen to this show. That Just that in itself, you know you're going in the wrong direction. Yeah, Like that's all you need to know. I don't care who the person is because you can take you can decide to not spend time with a person you can decide to that someone is toxic for your life you can decide that you don't want to follow a certain person or vote for a certain person but as soon as you start to hate and as soon as you start to dehumanize and believe you are more are you you are superior to them or that they are the ones to blame for everything you know you're heading in the wrong direction and you know, were you going to play that clip from Brene? the Brene podcast? Yeah. yeah. Before you play it, so last week, uh, Dak Shepard on Armchair Expert, he interviewed Brene Brown, and they had a talk about this, about blame and superiority. I don't know if they use those exact words, but they were talking about how you really, I, I, they kind of said a similar thing of what I just said about how you really can organize people around something that's hated but it's very stifling and it boxes you in. I think the example they used was they tried to keep it kind of benign and they said, it's kind of like if we become friends because we both hate, they used Depeche Mode. Yeah, You and I both hate Depeche Mode. So, oh, let's, let's talk about how much we hate Depeche Mode. We hate Depeche Mode. And then what, how it boxes you in is that if that's everything your relationship is built on, then it's going to be very difficult to share what then you love. Yeah. Really what you've based your relationship on is only what you hate. So you just have to find more things that you hate because if you were honest and you were like, well, I hate Depeche Mode, but I do like this other band mm -hmm. and they don't, 
then all of a sudden you're not bonded anymore. Well, and to decide what you hate is just so much easier and safer than saying a band that you love. Right. Because it, that's more vulnerable to say, I really love whatever, Cindy Lauper. Correct. Like, wow, that's brave. But it's easier to say, oh, I can't stand Cindy Lauper. You right. know what I mean? Absolutely. And that's exactly what they're saying mm-hmm. is that once you form a relationship based on hate, mm-hmm. of hate of something, hate of a person, hate of a political party, hate of a certain figure, that's you're stuck in that. Yeah. It's hard to expand beyond that. If you base your relationship on something vulnerable, like we both love Cindy Lauper, you have a lot of room there. To be like, I also love this and I also love this. It's just such a different energy. It's open where the way I see it is as soon as you form a relationship based on hate, you're boxed into that. And so they talked about that and then they moved into this next part that you So before, can I say thank you to a few Zen friends? Uh, kind of a weird time. Okay. So why don't we it's do... It's th- always a weird time, but that's all right. We'll save well, it to the end. Well, let's do this and not the end, but let's do this and then we'll move to okay. to that. Fair enough. Here is uh, Dax and Brene having a chat. People and same with Vietnam. And so first you have to label them something, right? With language. With language. And then they're different from you. So you're not killing a human because we right. actually don't want to kill a human. That's good news. We're well, adverse to killing each other. We're biology. Like our biology wires us to really, it's really hard. Um, like if you're you know, sober and not and mentally well, yeah. it's really hard to kill someone who you see within the scope of morality. Mm-hmm. So in order to hurt people, you have to push them outside of that scope. Mm-hmm. And we start with bad, good, evil, then dehumanization. So really in that part of the podcast, they're just reiterating what we were just talking about, or we were reiterating what they were saying. Um, but it gives you a good idea of everything that's happened in the last week. The people who are committing these acts of terror have a belief system that someone specific is to blame for the pain in the world, that this person is the problem. And they're being fed that information, by the way. They're being told by other people that this is the problem and that these people are trying to destroy the country. And so when people say, oh, that's no big deal, or they're just words, um, they're not just words. It's and, and again, it's not me saying, okay, it's all this person's fault for saying it. I'm not trying to do exactly what I was telling you not to do and make all the blame this person. But to believe that our words don't have the power to change our thinking and make us think that one person or a group of people are the problem in the world, um, it, it, that's what's the word I'm looking for? I don't want to say something cruel, but that's, that's not, that's an ignorant thing to think mm-hmm. that, Oh, this person's words, these they're dehumanizing words that doesn't hurt anybody. Look through history. That's what people do. Yeah. And we do that in our own towns. We do that in our own families. We make one person the problem. We do that politically, or we make a group the problem. Like the thing that happened in the synagogue, I was telling Todd, the most, the most heart wrenching thing about that was everybody that was killed, they were like in their 60s, 70s, 80s. There was a Holocaust survivor that was 97. Mm-hmm. What did that person who went in there to shoot those people, what what must they have been thinking to think that these people are harming our society? Right. How, what, what kind of, what were they fed language-wise and hate-wise to make them believe that these elderly people sitting in a church sitting praying, in a synagogue doing what they're doing synagogue not a church sorry yeah different different thing you see what i mean like it, it's it's literally like you said it's that circle of mm-hmm. like um and same thing with going in you know the man who go this wasn't getting as much press but the man who went into the grocery store to who ended up murdering two African-American people, the story I read, he actually tried to go to an African-American church first. So he had a belief system too, is I'm going to murder people who are a certain skin color. What must you believe? They're less than. Of course. And, and how, where did that come from? And how, how did we get here? And again, I I do know, because we can go through history and see it, but why do we still believe it is my question. 
Um, I don't know the answer to that right. question. Um, but, you know, it's, well, the one thing that I'll agree with you on is that obviously words impact and the idea that words, you know, the whole sticks and stones thing, we used to say that to our kids. I know. But really... Words can hurt. Yeah, they, they can. So I don't know. We were fed a bag of goods there when we were little kids that sticks... And I know that that's like, you know, that quote was has been said from our parents to us and us to our kids with an intention of like, don't let you know, Other stupidity you. bother you. But at the same time, words can hurt. And this is obviously examples of that. Like, of course, we're part of a, a system. And if that system is providing hate-filled messages, certain people are going to receive that and say yes, and then just to divide. And they're going to act on it. Us and them. And We've discussed this so many times on the show, but for those of you who are new, this is worth repeating. The words we use, the words that we choose to vocalize, they have energy and they shift energy. So when we say, oh, I'm going to call my son a negative word, or I'm going to say a negative word. And when I say a negative word, I mean a hate-filled word, mm-hmm. you know, where it's a swear word and the intention is to, you know, harm. Or I am going to call this, you know, this person who thinks different than me politically this word. It does carry an energy. It, carry, it, it carries, there are violent words. And if we are angry and we are not awake, and when I say not awake, meaning we are really literally blaming someone else for our pain and we think it's all them, we are creating more of what we're saying we dislike or more of what we believe that person is creating. Like it's, I, it makes so much sense, yet we still continue to act in a way where we believe our words aren't hurting. Mm. And I really, for those of you, and I know, Todd, you want to read that list and I'll, in one second, but I really want to say to everyone who is listening to this, do your part in choosing your words thoughtfully. They don't have to be perfect and they don't have to, you, it doesn't mean that you can't be angry, but even when you're being angry, don't discharge all that anger and blame one person. So instead of discharging it, what do you do? How do you transform the anger that you receive when you hear a story about a man shooting up a synagogue? You talk about everything that we... Obviously, you grieve and you talk about how angry you are about it and you write about it and you talk to your friends about it, but it's not then, okay, now I'm going to take all that anger and project it against someone else. It's how can we create a change that keeps that from happening. Instead of putting out more violence with our words, we're going to choose our words more carefully. And we're not going to... And I I think sometimes when I say these things, it's not a Pollyanna-ish thing. I mean, we started the show about talking about being authentic, right? Mm -hmm. And saying what you believe. But you can say... You can stand up for what you believe without making other people... Without dehumanizing other people. Right. Just like on a social networking thread, you can jump over the negative thing that is said and not engage. You can engage with the people who are saying things like, yeah, I'll do this and you focus on this and, um, you know, I'm going to speak up for this. And, and then the most important thing is do speak up. Like, I think we believe people have this belief that if they speak up about something, then that's adding to the problem. I don't agree. Mm -hmm. I think you need to say what you believe in. Like the... The end of Elizabeth Gilbert's uh, post on Instagram, the thing about, you know, evil and love both exist, is that she said, let's start focusing on the organizations and the people who are actually making a difference and start helping them and funding them and talking about them or creating your own or doing your own or even just doing your own. If you're feeling already bogged down, take doing your own internal work, doing your meditation, using your words carefully, doing yoga, um, you know not reading things that make you feel horrible. Like if you can't do it in the big picture yet, or you don't have the, if, if doing something grand is not in your plans, then do just something small, do something small, do it in your own home. And is it even small? Those words don't work. If you're doing it in your own home, that's a pretty big deal. Right. But it's, you know, our ego wants us to think, oh, the only way you can make a difference is if you start a charity. Correct. When in fact, maybe the best thing you can do is, 
be a good person to your kids and your neighbor who disagrees with you. Beautiful. That's and so I'm using these words like small, big, and those don't those aren't really the correct words. Mm-hmm. It's really um, either do something that impacts a you know big number of people or impact the people in your home, and that inevitably will impact a big group of people. Right. Either way, you're going to make an impact. Right. Um, well, I think we understate the ripple. We do. We need undervalue it. We undervalue the ripple. And what I mean by that is if you're kind to a stranger in the subway, that will have a ripple effect. Yes. And, you know, there's there's YouTube videos, there's books, there's people who live their life teaching that message. But yet our ego wants to be like, oh, the only way for you to make a really big difference is if you, whatever, start a charity or, do, you know, do something grand. Well, and we, we also have another thing that's been fed to us our whole lives is that success and happiness, it means a lot of money and a lot of people knowing who you are or fame, which again, we all know isn't true because there's a lot of people who have a lot of success and a lot of money who took their own lives, who are no longer here, who had everything you think you're supposed to have, yet they were still miserable because wherever you go, there you are. It's really got nothing to do with having money. I mean, up to a certain point, you know, the research is that if you are below the poverty level or you're at the poverty level and you cannot eat, then having a certain amount of money that makes sure that you can have a roof over your head and enough to eat does increase your happiness. But beyond that point, your happiness doesn't increase with money. And this is not me saying this, this is research. And if one place I know you can get that research is in Sean Acor's books on, um, uh, he has one called Beyond Happiness that I used last semester. And he talked all about that research about once you get to a certain level, any money you make beyond that, you're not happier. Right. So for the people who are like, well, next year I'm going to make $20,000 more, I'm going to be happy, or I need, I have 1 million, but I want 2 million. It won't increase your happiness level. Right. Yet we still, like, something I said to Todd yesterday is, I actually read this, um, but it made me go deep about it. Marianne Williamson is on the cover of Spirituality and Health this month, and they were interviewing her about, interviewing her about, Am I saying that word right? Interviewing Interviewing her. Okay. About our political climate. And they said, yeah, but the economy is booming. And what do you say? Because the economy is booming, so things are going well. And she's like, the economy is booming for who? Mm -hmm. For a select percentage of people. But these there's still so many people who are not- Don't have money in the stock market. Absolutely. And who- that's not what they're looking for anyway. They just want to survive. They yeah. just want to take care of their families. They don't, they're not looking for that 1%. They're looking for just basic respect, survival, and being able to, to take care of their family. And But we go around saying, oh, the economy's booming. Everyone's doing great. But that's not true. Yeah. It, but because it looks good on a number. Mm-hmm. On a graph. On a graph. Thank you. Well, what they'll say also is that unemployment is at historic lows. So anybody who wants a job can go get a job, something like that. Like there's so many ways that somebody who's trying to fit their idea into making sure that they're right, there's ways of doing that. But you listened to that podcast with me, right, about why the unemployment rate is there. I don't and remember. that really there's a significant amount of people that dropped out mm, of, of, the the, of the workforce. Yeah. And so they're not being counted. Yeah. So really the the whole idea about the unemployment being as low as it is, mm. is not even true. Like you said, it's like a redoing of the numbers. Yeah. And, and I will say that I know this is done these numbers are worked under every administration. So I'm not saying it's only this time that people are like kind of stroking these numbers. I know that every administration tries to make their numbers look good, but we have to be smarter where we understand that this could be a good thing and this could, but what do we care about the most? If we were using money, if we were using tax cuts or we were using money to make sure that people really were getting above minimum wage so they could live. If we were really developing programs where people could, um, or, or, you know, cutting what it, it costs to buy a prescription, if we really were doing things to make sure people were taken care of or that they had access to um, services because of the opioid epidemic. Epidemic. Yeah. I keep thinking my words don't sound right. Um, Trust yourself, woman. I know, I have to. But if we were doing those things then I think the energy would feel differently, but we know that the money's not moving that way. Mm. We know that money is not going toward those kind of things. Right. So even if we can look at a graph and say the economy is booming, 
It's not being put in the places that we need it to be put in. So, and, and people say, well, then what do we do? I don't know. I mean, I don't know that big picture money story. I don't know how to manage the economy. Do you, Todd? No, but your idea that, or Liz Gilbert's idea was a good one, which is support groups that are doing things that you support. Yeah. Yeah. Help them. Speak of them. Um, Go to a meeting. Go to a meeting. Yeah. Yeah. Like one thing that is helpful to me in the last year, and I think to you too, is the organizations that Todd and I support and love, we're trying to show up for them. Rather than we talk about them, we obviously donate some money and that kind of thing, but we're trying to be more of an active participant um, rather than just say, oh, yeah, that's a good organization. Right. Like put your energy toward something good. Something good. And it feels better. So, okay. So go ahead and read those names of, are those our Team Zen people? Uh, Well, we have some Zen friends. We have some Team Zen people and we have some sponsors for the conference. Awesome. So first is uh, Zen friends are people who donate to the scholarship fund to allow people who have a hard time uh, with the registration cost to give us an opportunity to give back to those people. So here are some names of people that donated to the Zen Friends Scholarship Program. Sean Emerson. Thank you, Sean. Thank you, Sean. Uh, Kristen Nini, N-I-N-N-I. Cheryl Stoller. Uh, and so those are three of the Zen Friends. Thank and you, then Kristen and these, Cheryl. These next two names are both Zed Friends and New Team Zen members, oh, good. sweetheart. Um, Teresa Kidd and Steve Schroeder. Oh, great. So thanks to those two who donated to the Zen Friend and our new, new Team Zen, Zen members. And we just did a Zen Talk last Friday, and our three main topics were one of the teammates had a sixth-grade son who's trying too hard to be in the cool crowd at the expense of existing friendships. Yes. And then the second question was uh, one of the team members had a six-year-old daughter who is lying. Yes. Do we hold her accountable? Yes. And then the last one is uh, uh, she has a 13-year-old daughter who is wired differently, and it's impacting the whole family. So that's what we talked about last Friday. So what's uh, Team Zen? It's a virtual community of support. Mm -hmm. That's, uh, and there's people from all over the country and all over the world. Yeah, Nikki's from New Zealand. So there's, um, you know, not only are we offering feedback to questions, but there are, I don't know, are we at 100 yet? No, people? we're Close. getting there. Um, all these different people who are offering a really tremendous experience because there's a lot of people in Team Zen who are also therapists and coaches and parents who have been doing this a long time who have their own experience to share. And it's been really helpful to me. I've learned a lot. Um, We have uh, two conference sponsors uh, to report this week, Comprehensive Clinical Services. Nice. Um, They are located in Lombard. Uh, They treat children, adolescent, and adults, um, specialized in treating conditions that appear throughout the age spectrum. So uh, check them out at discoverccs.org. And then Cheryl Stoller Parenting, Parent Coaching. StollerParentCoaching.org. She's seasoned, empathic, and transformative. Yeah, and I and I'm pretty sure that Cheryl. I mean, she. I know that she, as a parent coach, she would be open to talking with anybody. But she also, like Debbie Reber, works with twice exceptional uh, children yes. or parents of twice exceptional children. So, if you do have a child who is differently wired, Cheryl is somebody who. Um, is in that world. So we'll put both those services in our show notes if you're interested in either comprehensive clinical services or store parent coaching. Um, and then if you have a business and you're coming to the conference, think about uh, partnering up with us. Uh, we would love to have you. Because there's there are big sponsorships, like where you can have a table and be a vendor, but there's also... Uh, because we have so many people who listen to the show who have their own small business, mm-hmm. we wanted to create something where you could get a ticket to the conference and also... Be a partner where you get your information in the bag that everybody gets. Um, you know, you can have your logo somewhere, um, you know, that we mention you. And so because I, I remember when you and I first started out and people would want us to be a part of their conference and it was like $2,000. Right. We're like, we don't have that. But there is a level that we have. I think it's a $500 level. Correct. That includes your ticket plus us promoting you. Mm-hmm. So if you're just starting a business or you're a coach or you're a therapist or you're a yoga teacher or you sell something or something that kind of aligns with our message, um, this conference is an opportunity for you to let a lot of people know about your work. So reach out to us, Todd at ZenParentingRadio.com. And then lastly, uh, I'm a life coach. I coach guys, uh, specialize in relationships, relationships with spouse, with children, um, 
family. So uh, toddadamscoaching.com is the website that I developed. Great. Anything else you want to talk about well, there, sweetie? I will say that because you started the show by saying, you know, uh, you know, someone said something about you that wasn't very nice. You are the most genuine person I know. Oh, that's nice. And I'm saying say. that because I love you and I'm married to you and everything. But really, it's just because I know you and you're my good friend. And so, um, it, people, when we when we become public, where we put ourselves out there. People, if they don't know anyone like you or it something about what you say or do makes them think too deeply about themselves, sometimes they just want to make you the problem. Yeah. But you are not, Todd. You are one of the solutions in the world. Sweetie, I come across as very strange and disingenuous. <laughs> with, but you don't. With his stories and odd demeanor. But you I'll don't. take the odd demeanor. Strange, I'll take. I got no beef with that. Disingenuous, eh, maybe we can... We can debate that one. Well, and that's the thing is like, how does someone who's listened to the show once know if you're disingenuous? I live with you and I've known you since you were 20. Um, that is true. Back in the old days, Des Moines, Iowa, sweetie. That's right. You are the genuine article. Is that what people say? What that's does that mean? That's exactly what. Just just trust whatever word comes up is the right genuine word. Genuine article. So I guess our thought for everybody as we're closing here is... Um, be thoughtful about your words with the ones you love most, especially mm-hmm. in your home. Um, be thoughtful about who you're blaming for your problems. Yeah. Is it really this one person's fault? Um, are you really just so uncomfortable with your own, you know, with everything that's going on that you want to make one person the problem? Because that doesn't solve it. Yeah. Um, it doesn't mean that you can't have anger about something. Again, I do too. Uh, but let's use that anger and turn it into something powerful and impactful and loving. And let's make the world in that image rather than create more of a cycle of hate. And it takes a lot of practice. Um, or sometimes it's just a default mode to go to, I'm just going to hate and be angry. Right. But it doesn't serve you or the people around you. Sweetie, on Monday we're doing that uh, event at the library. Yes, but it's uh, full. So for the people so. who didn't get it... <laughs> snooze, you, you snooze, snooze, you lose. You lose. But we are doing a screening of a uh, documentary called I Am Evidence on December 4th. So plenty of room for that one. But yeah, the sex talk thing is sold out. It's uh, We're doing a class about sex, sexual assault and consent... Um, we're calling it a sex education for the 21st century. And so if you are attending, we will see you a week from today um, or next week, I should say. Right. Um, And then I want to talk about Jeremy Kraft. He's a bald-headed beauty. He's our uh, partner, painting and remodeling throughout the Chicagoland area, 630-956-1800. And I'm going to close the show with uh, a little clip from us and them again. It's a different section of it. Sounds good. And I'm going to head out. So I love you. All right. This is uh, Pink Floyd's Roger Waters, David Gilmore, us and them. everyone remember to subscribe to zen parenting radio so you never miss an episode and feel free to leave a review on itunes it helps people find us do you want more zen parenting check out team zen it's 25 bucks a month where you'll get two live zen talks with an opportunity to ask us live questions if you can't join us live don't worry you can still access all zen talks through the team zen podcast app You'll have access to all previous Zen Talks, connect with like-minded people through our private Facebook page, and get discounts on everything that we offer. Get your tickets for our annual Zen Parenting Conference on March 8th and 9th, 2019. Sweet. 
Get your brave on with Glennon Doyle, Abby Wambeck, Julie Lithcott-Hames, and Devorah Heitner, and enjoy a weekend in a warm and friendly environment of like-minded people. Tickets are available at zenparentingradio.com. Sweetie, it's going to be off the hook. I know. Um, interested in inviting us to speak at your conference or organization? Go to zenparentingradio.com and submit a speaker request. While you're there, check out our upcoming events, or you can purchase one of my three books. They're not your three books. Well, your three books. Thank you. If you ever shop via Amazon, you can help us out by first going through the Amazon link under the Support Us on our homepage. It doesn't cost you anything, but we get a small commission from Amazon. Um, guys, want to achieve a better work-life balance or deepen your relationship with loved ones? Good news. I coach guys. We can talk in person, by phone, FaceTime, you choose. If you're in Chicago, contact me about the tribe. It's an opportunity for guys to come together and talk about what really matters. And don't forget about our 2019 Unplug, Connect, and Transform Retreat. More, more on that later. Special thanks to our founding partner, Jeremy Kraft, from Avid Painting and Remodeling. Thanks for your love and support, Jeremy. Sweetie, he's a bald head of beauty. I know this. All right, everybody, keep trucking. See you next week. Adios.